Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right, so we're in part seven of our In the Kingdom series. I've really been enjoying this. I, I thought at the beginning that I had a bit of a grasp on what the kingdom of God is and all that is meant to encompass our lives because of it. But man, have I ever been learning. And I, I'm hoping that you are learning right along with me. If you're like me, uh, you know very little about baking. Um, I, hope, I hope not all of you are like me because I like it when people bake because it usually means I get to eat some of it. All I know is that uh, the baking that I have tried to produce in my life hasn't been on an exceptional level. Uh, sometimes it tastes good but doesn't look good. Sometimes it doesn't look good or taste good. <laughs> but nonetheless, I don't know a whole lot about it. I remember as far as baking goes in my life, I remember my mom regularly baking when we were just young kids growing up on the farm she would make a huge batch of dough for either bread or buns, typically, and she would leave it in a large mixing bowl, cover it with a tea towel, and then she would need to let it rise because the yeast has to take its time to do what yeast does, causing bread to rise. Often she would set that bowl of rising dough on top of the TV because we had a box-shaped TV. It wasn't one of those thin ones that you can't balance anything on anymore. Those TVs are useless, right? You need a piece of furniture, something that takes up at least a quarter of your living room. And that's the kind of thing that you can use to raise dough on. So my mom would set it on there, and as we were watching cartoons on a Saturday morning, the warmth of the TV would help to activate this yeast, and it would just go to town and, and cause that dough to rise, right? So Jesus shares a one-sentence parable from the world of baking that actually helps us to understand a principle in his kingdom. This short parable is from Matthew 13, verse 33. One of my favorites, actually. And it says this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's it. That's the whole parable. This parable teaches us pretty quick and pretty obviously that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Yeast makes all those tiny little holes in, in bread and bun. So when you like cut one, a, a slice of bread and you see this cross section, it looks like the surface of the moon full of all these little craters and things. That's yeast. That's what it does, right? So Jesus' kingdom is represented by yeast in this parable. The thing, uh, the thing we see is that this woman takes the yeast and she does something with it. She mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until she was able to blend that yeast all throughout the flour. Now, according to some of the sources that I read, 60 pounds of flour is a lot of flour. Apparently that's enough to make about 300 loaves of bread. So this isn't a small feat to mix this yeast in with this flour. It's actually accomplishing something great. And then once the yeast is mixed in with the flour, we see the result. After the yeast was mixed into the 60 pounds of flour, it worked all through the dough. So what we learn here is that the baker was very purposeful in what she was doing. She didn't just throw all the ingredients on top of each other and hope that somehow bread would come out of this thing. She took time and she made sure that the yeast worked into the whole batch of dough, not just part. If she didn't do that, the yeast would be ineffective if it was all on one side of the dough and, and part of the dough had no yeast in it. So this parable is an illustration of the impact of Jesus' kingdom and that it's meant to have in our lives. 
This kingdom is meant to be thoroughly mixed in to every part of our lives. And then the kingdom begins to transform us just like yeast transforms a batch of dough. As we hope for God's kingdom to transform us, we need it to transform us in all sorts of ways. With our desires, our impulses, we need it to transform us in what we say, how we respond to trouble, what we prioritize, the way that we look at people and relationships. All of these things should be positively, positively affected because we have mixed the kingdom of God and the gospel truth about who Jesus is into all parts of our lives. The bottom line is that the kingdom of God is meant to continually change us, all parts of us. Colossians 1 verse 6 teaches, that, it teaches about this, saying, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it until the truth about God's, or heard about and understood about God's wonderful grace. So the good news of the kingdom began and is continuing to bring change into our lives. We're kidding ourselves if we think, well, I'm going to become a Christian tomorrow because I know that this Jesus guy is a good guy and I want to put my faith in him and that's going to be the change. We're kidding ourselves if we think that's the only change that living in the kingdom of God is going to bring. That living in the kingdom of God is meant to continually, constantly, daily bring change and transformation into our lives. Thinking about this yeast parable again, if yeast was added once again to just the edge of a ball of dough, if it wasn't mixed into the whole batch, it wouldn't be very effective, would it? It wouldn't be able to work all throughout the dough, and then there would be an uneven leavening. Half of the dough would be raised, and half of it would not, if that. So conversely, if we keep Jesus' kingdom that we've been talking about for the last several weeks just on the edge of our hearts, or if we just keep it to our Sunday mornings, or if we just keep it to the parts of our life that we're willing to mix Jesus into, then this kingdom's power to change us is going to be limited at best. People who love Jesus and are growing in their love for Jesus invite Jesus into every part of their lives. When Jesus is welcome in every part of our lives, oh yeah, there's something special that happens. We move from being a fan of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. And that's an important transition. And it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen in the first month that we choose to trust Jesus. It doesn't automatically happen in the first 10 years or 50 years that we say that we're a Christian. There's a conscious choice that needs to be made when we move from being a fan of Jesus to mixing him into all of our lives, causing us to be a follower of Jesus. So listen to a few statements here that I'm going to share that will help us to understand the difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus. A fan of Jesus is someone who says they're a Christian, But they haven't made many, usually very few, adjustments to the way that they live their lives. They still are caught up in a lot of sinful habits, but they say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and that's great, you are, you are saved. I'm not taking that away from you, but but probably on a fan level rather than a follower level. A fan of Jesus goes to church sometimes, but not often because they just don't feel, hey, it's not a big deal. They might say something like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. 
A fan of Jesus doesn't take much personal responsibility for growing in their devotion to Jesus. They may say things like, meh, I'm not really getting fed at my church, so it's just, it is what it is, right? A fan of Jesus often believes several incorrect things about the kingdom of heaven because they don't see the value in reading God's word for themselves. A fan of Jesus bases a lot of their understanding about the kingdom on what other people have told them rather than on what they have taken the time to learn in their own study. They might say, well, my friend told me that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. Does the Bible say that? No, but a lot of people think it does. A fan of Jesus asks God for help, but doesn't ask God how they can be a help. A fan of Jesus behaves one way at church and another way everywhere else. A fan of Jesus finally wants to enter the kingdom of heaven, but doesn't live in a way that promotes the kingdom of heaven. However, a follower of Jesus, they've laid their life down. And they have said, Jesus, I don't want you to be on the edge of my life. I want you to work through my entire life. Every single part of who I am, I want you to infiltrate my life. A follower of Jesus makes regularly worshiping with other believers at church a priority in their lives. They might say something like, I've been abiding with Jesus all week. And now's my chance to join together with my brothers and sisters, my church family, and worship Jesus for his goodness. It's my joy to worship him. A follower of Jesus understands that it's not exclusively the job of the pastor to feed them spiritually. They take time daily to spiritually feed themselves. They might say, my time with Jesus in the mornings is precious to me. I need to take in spiritual nourishment every day if I'm going to live my life for God. A follower of Jesus has trained themselves to become familiar with right and wrong and can quickly identify false statements about God's kingdom. A follower of Jesus asks God to help them so that they can be a help to his kingdom's mission. They might say, Jesus, I know that it will require sacrifice from me, but... How do you want me to get involved in your kingdom's cause? A follower of Jesus pursues righteousness consistently, no matter who they're talking to or what environment they find themselves in. A follower of Jesus wants to enter the kingdom of heaven and take as many people with them as possible. So do you see the huge difference between a fan and a follower? I do. For me, after reading this list again, just this morning, I, I just say, man, I do not want to be a fan of Jesus. I do not want to stop there. And I don't want you to stop there. You don't want to be a fan of Jesus. But together, friends, what we desire is to have Jesus work into every corner of our lives that we might be true, authentic followers of Jesus. We want his kingdom to permeate every corner of our lives so that nothing is left unchanged or unyielded to the will of God. Nothing is held back where it's all about our desires or about sin taking control of that part of our lives. We want to give it up because the kingdom of God is better than anything that we could hold on to for ourselves. Can I get an amen? All right. It's true. It's true. So where does this change, going from a fan to a follower, where does that begin to happen? How can we see that take place in our lives? Well, the first place that we need to start is in our minds, because change begins in our minds. 
A lot of us think it begins in our hearts, but I, I see evidence in Scripture for the change of that we're talking about today, this all-encompassing kingdom mentality actually beginning in our minds. Ephesians 4.23 says, You are to be renewed by the spirit of your minds. So anytime that we decide to do something, whether it's changing our diet, changing our hairstyle, or changing the paint on the walls of our house, what do we need to do? We need to make up our mind. And then once our mind is made up, then action can begin, right? So how can our minds be renewed, which means be changed, according to verse or 423 here from Ephesians? Prayer, I believe, is where change really begins to happen. When we pray things like, Jesus, please change my mind to think like you do about your kingdom. What we're doing is we're asking Jesus to align our minds with his. Rather than just assuming that we have all the right desires and all the right thought processes, we say, Jesus, I need a change to happen up here. And you're the one who's going to need to do that. I'm not strong enough to do that on my own. But I invite you through your power to do that work in me. Romans 12 verse 2 says that we let God transform us by allowing him to change the way we think. None of us are born with a mind that thinks like Jesus. But as we get to know God, as we pray, which already requires us to set our mind on him, change can then take effect. In addition to praying for this change in our minds, we need to open our mind with God's word. You might be saying, Jeff, you talk an awful lot about praying in the Bible. There's got to be other things to the kingdom of God. There's got to be other things to the walk of Christ. Yeah, there are. There are. But none are as important as abiding with Christ. So I'm not apologizing for saying prayer and Bible reading over and over and over again. Because man, that is what brought the change into my life. And I don't recommend to anyone else anything that could possibly have as impactful as a change for the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, the entire Bible, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize, that's something that happens in our mind, what is right and wrong, or what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. As we read the Bible, exposing ourselves to God's word, our minds can be changed. For me, when I read the Bible, because I want to maximize the change that is taking place in my life, I read the Bible with a journal and a highlighter and a pen. I keep all those things handy because when there's a change that's taking place in my life after I read something in Scripture, I don't want to forget about it. I want to highlight it. I don't want to underline it. I want to make a note in the margin of my Bible. I want to journal about it and pray about it because if God is showing me, Jeff, look at what I'm doing in this person. I want to do the same thing in you then I need to wrap my mind around that idea. I need to embrace it and meditate on it. Otherwise, I'll forget about it. We're forgetful people. Life is busy, right? So when we're reading scripture and we want it to make an impact, it's time to be strategic about it. We write it down so that we can know this is what I want to meditate on. Using these tools, I'm, I'm able to remember things that I might easily forget that are so valuable for the kingdom of God and the life that I want to live for him. 
When I read things that, I, that uh, change the way I think, I don't want to forget them, so I also regularly type out reminders on my phone. I got a calendar app in my phone. Anyone who has a smartphone has a calendar app. I usually make a once-a-day uh, reminder for certain things that I want to implement quickly. Or I'll make a once-a-week reminder. So like every Wednesday at 3 p.m., I'll say, Jeff, have you spent time praying for boom, and then I, I am reminded to, to pray about, you know, our board or our deacons or, or young families in our church or whatever it is that God's laying on my heart. We need to be reminded of those things because once again, we're busy and we're going to forget, right? So I use my calendar app in my phone to help me out with that. If you ever look in my office, you'll see that my desk is plastered with post-it notes all around the border of my monitor for my computer. I have post-it notes all around there. In front of my keyboard, I have post-it notes. On this light switch that's right by my desk, I have post-it notes there. And they're reminding me of all these things that Jesus is doing to begin to change my heart that I don't want to forget about. So that's, I put them there because that's a place where I sit at least for part of the day every day. So where do you stand every day? Where do you sit every day? Do you have a long commute? Put your dashboard, and not over your speedometer maybe, but all over your dashboard. Put post-it notes to remind you of the things that God is making you realize are important. Maybe it's you spend a, an ungodly amount of time in the bathroom. Whatever it is, you know, put these things all over the mirror. Write them in lipstick. Whatever you need to do, put these reminders in a place where you're going to see them because we don't want to lose what God is wanting to do in us. And as we see these things, we'll say, oh yeah, I want to pray about that. I want to invite God to change me according to what I've read in his word. Another place where our minds need to change is in our thought life. And what we can do actually is take authority of our thought life in the name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. And who is Christ? He's the king of the kingdom, right? So we're, we're aligning ourselves with the kingdom once again. You have a say over what your mind is occupied with. Maybe you're like me, and from time to time, doubt, fear, worry, arguments, unbelief, procrastination, laziness, and apathy. Maybe those are things that creep into your mind. And they're saying, you don't need to read your Bible. You can sleep in today. Just stay up late and watch another movie. It's okay. You don't need to be at church every Sunday. You've been there the last three. All these kinds of thoughts are not aligned with the mind of Christ. And if we want our minds to reflect His, we have to take captive over thoughts that are threatening the voice of God in us. So what we can do is we can say when those kinds of things pop up is, hey, you thought you are not from God, therefore I am not going to listen to you and in the name of my King Jesus, get away from me. You have that authority because Christ is in you, amen? He's given you his Holy Spirit and his presence dwells with you. The more we are in the Bible, the quicker and easier we will recognize threatening thoughts and be able to deal with them quickly without them taking root and causing damage. Finally, the other place that we can change our mind, it, it comes through accountability. I meet with several other pastors during the week who help me stay accountable in the areas of spending time with the Lord purity, theology, motives, and, and the way that we are effective and driven in ministry. I'm a pastor, but I need to be pastored as well. 
I don't want to let off the gas and just assume that, hey, I've arrived. You know, I'm a pastor. What else do I need? No. As a matter of fact, I've been attacked more spiritually in the last two years of my life after taking this job than I have probably in the last 10 years. Because Satan knows that my goal is to raise up disciples and a flock of people who love Jesus passionately and are willing to dismiss all of the lies that he's trying to plant in our minds. And if he knows that I'm working hard in that way, he's also working hard against me. Therefore, I need accountability. And so do you. That's why I meet with other pastors, because I want them to ask me hard questions. And as a matter of fact, there are some people from our congregation, God bless you, you've asked to meet with me once a week, because you also desire accountability. There are several people that I meet with weekly because we are together pursuing Jesus. And they like it when I ask them the tough questions. One person said to me recently, because of COVID, we had to kind of take a pause on it. They came back and they said, Jeff, I am so thankful that we meet together because I know that you're going to ask me about. And then they listed all the things in their life that they wanted accountability for. And they said that if you don't ask me those things, I know that I'm going to slump away from them. See, the family of God is meant to be a family, right? We're meant to function together for each other. Ask me tough questions. And if you want, I'm glad to ask them back. Not because we want to grind each other into a pulp, but because we want to raise up a strong spiritual family. King David, he actually prayed for this. uh, Oh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. That's the next uh, piece here. So once we have this mind piece that is beginning to be renewed and beginning to be changed, it creates the possibility for a changed heart. We can't have our hearts or our passions changed unless our mind is on board with what we need to become passionate about. Where the mind is the center of knowledge, the heart is the center of love and devotion. We can grow in our minds or we can know in our minds what is good, but until that knowledge spreads into our hearts, our desire to do what we know is good isn't very powerful. Here's where King David prayed. King David in Psalm 51 verse 10 prayed for a changed heart. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Why did he pray these things? Because David was asking God for these things, or David was asking God for these things because he needed a heart that was loyal and faithful. Why did he need that? Because sin had taken hold of him. He had just committed adultery and then had the husband of the woman that he slept with killed on the front lines of a battlefield. He needed to get his heart changed to go back to what was reflecting God's will. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that our hearts are deceitful. And that means that our hearts are capable of misleading us. That's why we need them to change. We need the kingdom of Jesus to permeate our hearts and give us righteous desires that are pleasing to God and good for us. Philippians 2.13 is one of the most exciting verses in all of scripture to me. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is a verse I quote often. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not, but this is exciting because I can't create this desire in me. But if I ask God, Jesus, please change my heart. Give me your heart because mine is faulty. It says here that he is going to give me that desire and the power to do what pleases him. Desire stems from our hearts. This, as, we, as we keep turning over our lives to God more and more, he's going to do something in us. He's going to create a new nature or a new spiritual makeup or personality in us. 
This new nature desires to do what is pleasing to God rather than what's disobedient to him. It's true that our desires of our heart can change for the better as the kingdom takes over our lives. And someone actually pointed that out to me. On, on Wednesday this week, I was meeting online with a, a dear friend of mine, a pastor from Manitoba. His name is Armand. And that name is weird to us because he's originally from Iceland. He's just an amazing guy, though. We were catching up on life and, and, and talking about COVID and the election, of course, because those things are just hot topics right now. And he, being a Canadian, is enamored with American politics like they all are. So we, we talked about all these things, and he told me that, uh, or we, we began to talk about how COVID and political change could affect us as Christians and affect the church. In Manitoba right now, for instance, stores are being forced to close except for essential services. Only stores that sell food and gasoline are allowed to remain open. Otherwise, the government has brought them into nearly a full lockdown. Schools, as a matter of fact, are now only educating kids whose parents are deemed essential workers, and the remainder of students have to do distance learning from home. That's one hour in that direction. I mean, it's a totally different country, but our country also looks at what other countries are doing, right? They take notes from each other, and they're kind of getting ideas. Who knows what the future is? And by capita, their numbers are in way better shape in Manitoba than ours are in North Dakota. So I just don't know. We wondered about the effect on us as a church. I told Armand that although I really, really did hope that our church here in Candy would be able to keep its doors open for the long haul, there was a part of me that was curious about what it would mean for our church if the government would tell us that we had to close up for a period of time. What if we were given a shelter-in-place mandate like many other states have had? What would happen to our faith? How would we still function as a church? I admitted to him that part of me was maybe a little bit excited at the challenge that this would bring and how our faith would be tested because we know James says that consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But through, because through testing all sorts of good things can occur, I, I said these things with a little bit of a curiosity. Armand responded to me by saying, Jeff, obviously you have been changed by Jesus because most people wouldn't desire that kind of a challenge at all. And I thought to myself, huh, no kidding. I guess I have been changed. I never even stopped to think about it. But yeah, clearly in my life, I haven't always thought, yes, Jesus, bring me the greatest challenge possible. I've never thought that at every part of my life. But only recently has God renewed my heart that I might embrace something difficult. And I, and I thought, yeah, that is pretty amazing. Armand continued, he said, where most people would avoid trouble like this at all costs, Jeff, you're almost looking forward to it. And he's right. God has made a kingdom impact and kingdom change in me. A challenge to my faith makes me actually come alive instead of terrifying me. I, I love that God's done that change. So yes, pray for a changed heart like King David did, but also guard your heart from negative change. Change can happen at all times and in all ways. We have to be aware that there's positive change and negative change. We can learn a valuable lesson from another Israelite king named Jehu. Or Jehu. Uh, he had been anointed by God to take over the throne of Israel. And for a long time after that anointing where he became king, he was obedient to the Lord. 
And in 2 Kings 10, verse 31 and 32, the Lord spoke to Jehu and he said, Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all that I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So Jesus or God is saying to Jehu, well done. You've done well. You've done good. You've done what I've asked. And now there's a blessing even coming to you. Your descendants are going to remain on the throne of Israel. So that's a good start, right? But the second verse here, verse 30, oh, sorry, 30 and 31, not 31 and 32. Verse 31 says, yet Jehu was not careful. He was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. So Jehu had been a model citizen and a picture of obedience in God's kingdom. But verse 31 says that Jehu didn't keep on with that mentality. He wasn't careful. He let his guard down and his heart did not stay loyal to God. He began to dabble in sin. As soon as we feel that we've got something mastered, it's very, very possible that we open ourselves up to pride. We say, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Look at how good things have been for me. We can relax, okay? We can just ease up and not be so intense, Jeff. When pride sneaks into our heart, we actually let our guard down. Guarding our hearts means not living up or not giving up or slowing down as we journey towards eternity. We keep pressing on to reach the prize of eternal life, as Paul writes in Philippians 3:14. So even when things are going well, when you feel like, man, I just, I love Jesus so much more today than I did months ago. And I'm growing, I'm gaining knowledge, I'm gaining understanding. Disciplines in my life are becoming more consistent. Don't begin to coast. Keep your foot on the gas all the way to the finish line. Stay alert and keep working that kingdom all throughout your life. And finally, we fully embrace a follower lifestyle And allow the kingdom to permeate our whole lives when we live out what we value within. And this step of living out what we value within is all about obedience, application, implementation, whatever word you want to use. We can know truth in our head and we can even believe it in our hearts. But if it doesn't translate into how we live our lives, we've come up short of the goal. The fear most Christians seem to have is, I'm not good at fill in the blank for yourself. And then because of that hesitation, that lack of confidence, that fear, I don't think I can do that. We do nothing instead of trying something. This is what prevents them from living out what they believe and they value within. But with our confidence in God, rather than in ourselves, we can take one step of faith at a time. Priority one, when it comes to living for God, is being obedient, not being perfect. God's looking for a willing person. As you move in faith one decision at a time, God will help you grow and improve how you live for him. We're never going to be perfect here on earth. If we wait until we can do something perfectly, none of us will ever do anything. But if we move forward in faith, trusting God to work through us and our willingness and our desire to be obedient, we can trust that God will give us that power to do what pleases him, right? Start small. That's all that God's asking. God's not asking you to come up here next Sunday and preach a message. He might just be asking you to love your neighbor in the most difficult time that our country has faced in a long time. He might be asking you to bake a plate of cookies and bring them over or to shovel their driveway or to call them and just say, hey, 
This is your neighbor. I know that we haven't talked for a while. Actually, I don't think we've ever talked, but I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. And if anything comes up, I want to let you know you can call me and I'm I'm here to help. Why not? That's just a, a small way that we can reach out and love someone and start working the kingdom of God in our lives. Have the mentality that you want to start with one God-honoring action each day for a week and then go from there. And then when we try these things, it's going to be very easy. Satan's going to try to, to cause us to come up with all sorts of excuses, but I'm going to, I'm going to beg you and, and just urge you, don't make excuses for why you can't be obedient and live your life for Jesus. For instance, many people in their 20s and 30s start a family, which is a beautiful thing to do. That's exactly what my wife and I did. But then for some reason, I've seen it a lot in people. They say, well, now that I have kids, I can't serve God because my family is occupying all my time. First of all, let me say this. Raising a godly family, raising children who love Jesus and want to live in his kingdom, that is serving God. So don't discount that part. That home life is so important, okay? But I'm also going to say this. Serving God with a family is not impossible. You know, when we were at a, a church uh, in, in Winnipeg, kind of transitioning from where I was working as a youth pastor to where we are now here in Candy, we were at a, a friend of mine's church. It was called Anchor Point, And Lucy got to be a part of a middle school youth group ministry. It was for students grade 5 to grade 7. And um, I was just so impressed with her youth leaders. I, I, met, I met this husband-wife couple named Jason and Britt. Britt was kind of the head youth leader. And when I met her, she was just starting to, uh, to show that she was pregnant. Of course, I didn't say anything because that would be incredibly stupid. But I found out later through word of mouth that, yes, she was pregnant. And as time went on, you know, she grew. And her responsibilities grew because the youth group was growing. But did she pass it off to her husband and stay at home? No, she didn't. She actually labored on and on and on, not at youth, but in ministry at youth. And and she continued there and she built up other co-laborers to help her with the work there. She didn't take it all on herself, but she invested in other people. And then their baby came along. And what did they do? They brought the baby to youth. And they actually showed these young students what it meant to, to raise godly children, to love them in front of these kids. And say, oh, you know what, guys? We're going to pray in a second here. Just let me, let me grab my baby. It just needs me for a moment. And they'd hold them, and they'd love on them, and then they'd pray, and they'd, they'd work together. they just continue to minister. And actually, I, I thought about Jason and Britt. I hadn't talked to them for a long time, so I, I sent them a, a video message this week, and, and they got back to me, and they're actually expecting their second one. And not only are they leading a junior youth ministry and a senior youth ministry and kids' Sundays, school and they're running a summer camp for their church but they're not about to quit anytime soon and you know what that's a calling in their life not all of us are called to that but I just wanted to share that story because it is possible to live this kingdom life even when things that we feel would take us away from giving our best um, come into the picture kids are not an obstacle they're an opportunity I think the final step to, to change from fan to follower, this, this application or this obedience step is easily the toughest one of all. Many Christians have mixed God into their minds so that they have an intellectual understanding of what it means to know God. And they, they know enough to be saved from their sins. Some people, unfortunately not all, 
But some Christians actually allow that head knowledge to trickle down into their hearts. And they learn to know Jesus and to love him deeply. But very few Christians then take the step of saying, I believe in the kingdom, I value this kingdom, and I'm going to actively participate in this kingdom. Reaching this last step is possible, but to reach it, we need to know something extremely important. This is the most important thing I'll probably say to you today. This isn't condemnation. This isn't me wagging my finger at you. I'm with us in what I'm about to say here. You and I are personally responsible to mix the kingdom all throughout our lives. It's up to us. It's not up to me to do it in you. As a matter of fact, I can't do it. Your spouse can't do it for you. Only you can blend the kingdom and the gospel into all corners of your life. Do we want real, authentic kingdom life? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Then it's up to us to blend it and mix it into all areas of our life. Our mind, our heart, and our actions. Friends, I, I wish I would have said this earlier. But I, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is real and attainable. It's not just an idea. It's not just a theory. It's not just like a theological concept. But it's actually something that is within our grasp here on this earth. We're not living in just believing in some fairy tale until we get to heaven and then it becomes real. The kingdom of God is real today. It's right in front of us for for us to take hold of. If you make up your mind today that you want this kingdom life, then take steps for your heart to follow and your actions will become a natural result of that as well. Don't just make a decision and then forget about it as soon as we stand up from our chairs and leave the church today. You and I are responsible for what comes next. And I'm going to make an offer to you. If you want to create some next steps for the kingdom of God to permeate parts of your life that you know you feel are keeping separate from God, come and talk to me. Like I said, I meet with people every week. It's not weird to talk to your pastor outside of a Sunday morning, okay? As a matter of fact, I live for that kind of stuff. Preaching is something that I love, but I don't love it nearly as much as I love meeting with people who say, Jeff, I want to do this and I just don't know how. That is one of my favorite things to do. I would be overjoyed to sit down with you and figure out how we can work together for the kingdom to make a complete takeover of our lives. Let's work on some next steps together. Uh, your ideas are going to help me, and I'm, I'm sure that I have some ideas that can help you. So let's just figure this out together. We're going to pray, and then I have two more quick announcements that we're going to end our service with this morning. Father in heaven, I love this message. I love this parable. One sentence uh, in this parable, Matthew 13, 33, and so much impact. I love Jesus that you tell us that your kingdom is meant to work all throughout our lives. And Jesus, we've sung songs today. We've heard a message today. We're praying a prayer right now, Jesus, where we are asking that you would help us. First of all, in our minds to embrace the idea that, yes, we want to live in the kingdom of God. It is a good thing. It is a possible thing. It's an active thing. It's a realistic, authentic life that we can have here on this earth. I pray that you would permeate our minds right now with that understanding. 
And now Jesus, take that mind knowledge and bring it down into our hearts. Help us to desire to live that life. I pray that we would love you more than we love our own life. And we would say, Jesus, I know that your kingdom's real and I love it. I I just need your help to walk it out. And now Jesus, take that mind knowledge, that heart love and understanding, and now move it into the, the tips of our fingers and the ends of our toes and to the top of our head and every part of our body. Cause us to live each day with a mentality, Jesus, how can I live out your gospel today? How can I be a part of your kingdom today? I don't want to go through life being ignorant of what I'm supposed to do, but I want to follow the plans that you have for me. Jesus, give us this desire, and we know that we can trust you because of what Philippians 3.14 says, that you are going to give us the power to do what is pleasing to you. What a joy it is to live in your kingdom, Lord. We don't have anything to fear. You are with us. You are in us. You are working through us. And we know that you are going to cause everything to work together for the good of those who love you. And we love you, Jesus. This church, the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota, loves you. Thank you, Father, for creating that love in us. Amen.